0: welcome to bridging chicago a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to chicago's business community cultural and charity leaders hello and welcome to this episode of the bridging chicago podcast i'm nathan your host for today's episode and i'm so excited to be joined by dion dawson the founder and executive director of dion's chicago dream uh Dion, we always like to start with uh hearing your story, but specifically we want to start with your Chicago story. So can you tell us how you came to Chicago and thank you so much for joining us today?
1: Oh no, thank you for having me. Uh well um I am uh Inglewood, born and raised, um, and that is where I've lived my entire life, except for um a couple of years when I left for the military. So beyond oh, that, my no. uh, my story uh, is primarily, uh, starting and based around the South side.
0: Now, when you say Inglewood people, I'm sure already get a picture in their mind of what Inglewood is like, what they've heard, you know, probably not a lot of realistically, not a, a lot of our listeners have probably been to Inglewood. Can you share with us about the Inglewood community, about the neighborhood, Uh, maybe misconceptions, et cetera, what you know about the Inglewood that you're from?
1: Oh, I mean, Inglewood is is like any other community in Chicago uh, in the United States. Um, It has some good things. It has some unsavory things, and it has um, people and residents there who, you know, love uh, everything about their neighborhood. And So, you know, Inglewood is no different. Um, Being there my entire life. um, Of course, I come from a family uh, who financially struggled a little bit and we didn't have all of the the opportunities um, that, that we would have liked, but it was more than enough. I think that when you're talking about those misconceptions, it's not really, I I don't, I, it's not really up to me to challenge it. You know what I mean? Um, I think everybody knows their truth. Um, I would just hope that, you know, their truth is as uh, informed as it could be. Um, But for me, you know, Uh, especially going to the military, uh, traveling around the country and the world uh, and the state and the city. Um, You know, Chicago and Inglewood specifically is no different than any other uh, neighborhood uh, that you could think of.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that um, you don't, it seems like you don't really want to paint a narrative for people. You kind of want them to uh, devise their own. And, And realistically doing that, you know, the best way to do that is to visit, right, is to see yes. what's there. Um, so I guess for people who want to visit different Chicago neighborhoods and communities, what is it about that neighborhood that you think would really be interesting to people? Maybe um, like what kind of food, what kind of culture or dynamic is there down in Inglewood? Well,
1: I mean, I think it's, it, it starts with resiliency. You know, I mean, you're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, a neighborhood like other primarily black neighborhoods, black and brown communities uh, that lack a lot of the the resources uh, that more Mm -hmm. affluent communities have. And so it's not that I don't want to paint that narrative, but, you know, my goal is not always to bring people from their end of the spectrum all the way to mock. And you can love a country, you can love a city, you can love a state, you can love a neighborhood without visiting it just by having, you know, a, a, a interaction and an exchange of, of perspective in a healthy way. And so you know my way of talking about inglewood and getting people uh to know some of the good is by just expressing you know my good things but but not necessarily trying to disprove their misconceptions but i mean of course we have you know great fast food options um of course we have great organizations uh we don't have uh many grocery store options um Mm -hmm. but i i'm not a glass half empty or a glass half full person. I'm a a, a very big I have a glass person. Uh, and so when wow. you're talking about when you're talking about Inglewood, um, you know, knowing the beauty and knowing the resiliency and knowing the strength that I received from it, um, it is something that you know goes beyond words sometimes. And you know, it's almost like yeah. when someone would ask you, "Hey, why do you love your significant other?" You can't really just always say everything in that moment, but you know that the love uh, is there. so that's kind of how I feel about Inglewood.
0: It's interesting because that's I think very much part of the Chicago story because we have all these different neighborhoods. people can look at that and see it as very um, not necessarily divisive, but certainly people are split up into different neighborhoods and they you know a lot of people love their neighborhood they love something about it and and I think historically that has been more divisive and has been more, uh, you know, creating barriers or boundaries. But I think today, um, thankfully we have an amazing CTA, uh, system, um, yep. and we have, uh, you know, an improving highway system and, and road system mm-hmm. that allows people to get around that allows people to go all, to all these other places. Um, but what I, what I hear most often from people who are from Chicago is like the Chicago that, you know, and love is your Chicago. And that's perfectly fine. Um, But, you know, opening your horizons or being open to experiencing new things. Um, I haven't been to Inglewood, I don't think, but I have been to a lot of different neighborhoods, including Austin. And Austin has some really good food out there if you can make it out there. Um, And so I know that like the Chicago that you know, that each of us individually know is is a true representation of Chicago because it's very different.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's with any, I think it's with anything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we all, all our experiences, you know, shape and mold how we look at something. But I think it's also very important that we don't try to immediately push that on other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. My thing can be my thing, you know? I know that uh, somewhere like Kusanya Cafe, you know, has amazing, you know, oatmeal and, and you know, a, yeah. um, amazing French toast. You know, what I mean, things like that. Um, yeah. But if somebody else does not like that, that that does not invalidate um, the, the love and joy that I have for my thing. You know what I mean? And so yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. Chicago is is is. Um, Of course, it is a divided city. Of course, um, it it is you know uh, uh, it has a myriad of people and experiences, uh, but that diversity is something that I would always look at as a strength rather than a weakness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, When did you first realize maybe that your community wasn't receiving all the resources that other communities were, or was at least lacking in some? resources in some way
1: well I think it's, it's weird because when you you have a mission or you have a dream that it directly relates to your lived experience it's 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 very very it's, it's intricate at how you perceive it so when you say you know when did I realize my my neighborhood wasn't receiving something it, it wasn't until well after I started my organization because I didn't look at it like that. I didn't look at, wow. at it from uh, we're not receiving this thing. I looked at it from I need to provide this thing. And so, you know, it's more about, you know, having an active role in what's going on and not a passive one. And so when you say it like that, I would say in the last year, even though our org is going on three years old, I would say in the last year I've settled on that framing. But initially um, it was just, you know, around that joy and love and saying, hey, I want to bring this, not, uh, hey, why don't we have this? Because yeah. Going through everything that I've went through in my life, um from homelessness to food insecurity, um to mental health issues, to being a disabled veteran, um it you you have these moments where right before I started the org I just realized that okay, so what? Now what? Okay, this yeah. is to this is true. What do I do now? You know what i mean and i think that when you when you yeah, framed it yeah. like that you know this last year you know i'm i'm i think i'm lucky that i didn't think like that in in the beginning because i think that that's too close to my trauma for me to really yeah. operate
0: proactively yeah. and not react it's a great point uh i mean entrepreneurship is really just finding a need in and in- creating something to meet that need, whether it's an invention that you make or uh, we've heard with a lot of these nonprofits, there was a need there and they built this organization to create that need. And that sounds like exactly what you did there. Not worrying about, uh, are the resources available outside of me to be able to create it? But like, if there's a need, can I fill that? And is that something that I'm willing to do is more what you're thinking about in, in that situation?
1: Yes. Yes. Because I think that, you know, just like you said it, you know, it's is, you know, it's okay to be to be motivated by your story. It's okay um, for it to tie in. But the thing about social entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship in general. Is that it can't only be about you, it has to be at some point, it has to transition from being about you and your story to being about your program or product. And once you can can find that that bridge and start crossing it it becomes easier because it's not just all working off of you know that lived experience and so you know i think that you know you 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 brought yeah. up you know a great point in that it, it has to be um about that product it has to be just for longevity
0: purposes yeah yeah and i think there are certainly those Basic business concepts that uh, that absolutely apply no matter what you're doing, including you know starting a nonprofit. Definitely, definitely. Uh, um, one of
1: my one of my mentors. Uh, oh, I'm sorry about that. Go ahead.
0: No, no, go right ahead, please. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: One of my one of my mentors, uh, Dory McWater, who's over at YMCA Chicago. Uh, one of her uh, famous quotes is, "You know, nonprofit is uh, just a tax status, and so it. You know, you have to look at." how you're running your or your non-profit because it still is a business you know what i mean i think that yeah. you know in in learning from her i learned that you know when when creating that product and that programming which you know for us is dream deliveries um it allowed me to really hone in okay you know like i told you earlier now what you know what i mean we we, ha- we have the problem you know what i mean but in terms of your program or product now what how do you yeah. you know go to fill that gap how do you go to solve that problem how do you go to meet that need
0: yeah yeah so good um we want to thank you for your service um we're very grateful for all veterans but can you tell us what fueled your decision to go to the military and then what You brought out of that what you've learned from that that you apply to your life now
1: well I think that you know I I don't really know you know why I really went to the Navy I I'll, I'll be honest with you you know just coming from not having many options um even you know having a high ACT score but not really knowing what to do with it and you know having no type of financial uh backing at home even if i did you know go out of state to college or things like that so college just never seemed like a legitimate option for me and i just always in the last uh, few years before the military um as a teenager you really start feeling that that survival mode and so i just felt like you know i i had to just try to you know continue to figure this thing out and i wanted to do it independently of influence because you know i know what it felt like to not have but i never felt like i never felt what it what it felt like to to go get it and so uh coming out of the navy i would say I, i i i had a real appreciation for what you really could you know do in a day you know i went from not working out Um, And not really, you know, liking being in shape to when I was deployed, I had some days I were doing three workouts a day, morning, lunch and nighttime, you know what I mean? And so you start learning what you could really pull off in a 24 hour span. Um, And and it allowed me to understand that a lot of external things don't really matter when it came to my universe. And so I think that has been something that has really helped me uh not only you know go down this path but really create a living breathing company um that not only provides value but has employed people um and really been chipping away at uh and changing how we look at a major societal issue
0: yeah and i'm sure that the leadership that the military provides certainly helps with that, that too no not really <laughs> no
1: Nah, I wouldn't. I, because I've I've had better. Um, of course, I I I interacted with some amazing leaders. One or two are still with me today. But no, I've I've you know encountered much many more leaders in Inglewood. You know what I mean? I mm. think there is this common misconception um, that this one I will fight is that I have to go outside of Inglewood um, to find leaders that I can respect and learn from. And so, you know, I try to make that a mission of mine, even today as a leader of Inglewood, to highlight other leaders in Inglewood, you know, our children, our residents, um, they don't have to go far to find amazing leaders that really, you know, lead with love uh, and true intention and care. So, you yeah, know, the military, you know, and, and all of the things that it did do for me, I would say that I've, I found better, you know, a, a, a nice consensus of um, leaders in Inglewood.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's so good because I, I just wonder if a lot of times we're just not looking for what we need from the community that we are a part of, but we look outside of that and think, okay, I have to go over there to get it over there. But but you mentioned that, and I think well, that has to exist in a lot of these communities, and if not all oh, of these course. communities have to have amazing leaders, amazing resources, you know, libraries, all these things that we have that. Let's be honest, they're not all going to be the best and not every community is going to have what everyone, what the other one has. But you have something, right?
1: No, of course. And I think that that when, when you're looking at it, <clears throat> it's about learning how to activate those different things. You know, what I mean, mm. what's at my disposal and how do I activate them in a way that benefits me, which can then ultimately benefit my organization, which then ultimately will benefit the community. It you know it has that yeah. domino effect,
0: and I think that's building on a concept that we've heard from a lot of nonprofit leaders is that um, you know when it comes to resources, there's having access to resources, there's knowing that those resources are there, and then as you pointed out, there's activating those resources to be able to use them to do what you are capable of to do what you have the potential of. And I think all those concepts kind of build on each other to end up with people like you who are going out there and, and creating something to help in their own communities with a need that exists.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I I look at it as, you know, what we've seen in this, in this pandemic and the last few years is we've seen uh, a major reset in, you know, what we think we need to get something done. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and, and granted, there was, you know, a, a market downturn um, in on this side, but there was a, a market uptick in other areas, you know what I mean? I think that it's, it comes yeah. in ebbs and flows. And, you know, as leaders and as, as, as a society, you um, I've just learned that, you know, there's certain things you just have to kind of lean into at in at certain moments, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel like we need to give special recognition to all the people who started a business or a nonprofit, some sort of company during the pandemic times, because I think oh, in man. a time where <laughs> we're all trying to figure out what life is going to be like or like how we're going to do this thing. <laughs> the fact that there are people going out there and starting stuff like this it's like wow i mean these people it's just amazing to think that the courage that it takes to do that in general and then you multiply that um in a world that none of us really even still to this day like we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like it feels um has to be like even tougher
1: uh, I, but you know what? I think the the good thing that is is that I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and 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 that that mystery is the, is the sweet spot. Is that you know we don't know, and so it should. You know, it motivates me to take advantage of you know what's in front of me because mm-hmm. we've been shown continuously we don't know. Uh, what tomorrow would bring. And so you're absolutely right. Um uh that, you know, it may be difficult uh for people who was in it before to then see how, how everything transitioned. Uh but for me, I just, you know, I'm thankfully I, I I was in it. We're in a pandemic. Um and not only were we able to start here, we were able to then, you know, kind of transition and keep learning and growing uh yeah. as, you know, time kind of kinda went on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Dion's Chicago Dream, because we would definitely want to learn about what that is and how that started. So what is this something you thought of for a long time and then kind of said, OK, here's what it's going to look like? Or how did this get started? How did Dion's Chicago Dream come to be?
1: Well, I mean, it, it it came from, you know, of course, I've always wanted to help my community. That's part of the reason I came back to Chicago after the Navy. But I wouldn't say that it was. Excuse me it wasn't in the way, uh, by way of nonprofit. That was never like a dreams or, or anything like that. But it started, um, after the pandemic was in, you know, kind of full swing. And before, um, Juneteenth of 2020, uh, somebody came to me, you know, one of my, my good friends and like, uh, little brother, he said, what are you doing for Juneteenth? And, you know, I said, and, you know, I kind of said, well, you know you know i'll do whatever i can and i and he was like no what are you doing and he was looking for this this pinpoint thing you know he wanted me mm-hmm. to commit to and i said without thinking we're gonna feed you know a hundred uh families had no idea never did my own food operations didn't have any money mm-hmm. uh but i said it and he said okay and so uh on juneteenth um we we started to go fund me and then 20 uh five, 24 hours later 25 hours we we raised 2500 dollars and on july 3rd wow. of 2020 we uh fed 90 between 92 and 96 uh, households with over 800 pounds of food wow. and it was the greatest day of my life um and it that that started the love affair of of just you know kind of you know, mobilizing and actualizing how, you know, things could be done with my own hands and not me waiting. And so, um, you know, ended up becoming a a nonprofit in a couple months. And then from there, what started with the Community Fridge uh, has grown into an organization um, where we provide a week's worth of fresh produce being delivered uh, to households all over the city of Chicago. Right now we're in 25 Chicagoland neighborhoods, uh, and we were providing 21,000 pounds of food per per month uh, to about 3,200 residents per week. And So, um, but that's just what the Chicago Dream is, is just looking at, you know, how we look at stabilizing critical needs to then deploy social services. Uh, at the heart of what we're doing, we're a logistics organization where yeah. we've been able to do all of this without any volunteerism. You know what I mean? We've we've created 12 jobs, all paying over $20 an hour, because what I've seen uh, is that, you know, we want to feed people, but you can't depend on volunteerism to stabilize your workforce. So, yeah, um, we've been able to own our uh, buy all of our food, no donated food, buy our food, pay our people own our assets. And so we're we're kind of in a league of our own because we we built this, you know, with the people and not on the backs of people.
0: Yeah. Are you logistically speaking, are you taking what's there and sort of realigning it to direct it to communities in need? Or are you creating new logistical systems to kind of move the food into the communities?
1: Oh, no, we we've created new new logistical systems. So we use our own uh, route running software. We use SMS text notifications. All of our data is in house uh, and we own all of our delivery sprinters. And we 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 pack we buy our food, pack our food in our branded boxes and we deliver them. that's the thing. You know, uh, there's no there's no delivery mechanism right now besides what we're doing. That's why when yeah. you're riding past these communities, people are feeding people outside. And so because I came yeah. from that, I know what that feels like. And that's the worst yeah. feeling in the world, waiting hours in line to get something that you don't know if the quality will be premium, to, to wait in a line and get you know a box of things that you wouldn't ever buy. Um, so when, when you're, we talk about these logistical systems, they weren't in place. You know what I mean? I think, you know, like, like, like that is, that is, you know, thanks directly to, you know, my team of people um, who've been with me every step of the way, uh, who we pay every single uh, week, who, you know, work, who work there to make sure that, you know, these, these households all over the city are food secure. Because when you, when you're enrolled in dream deliveries, you go from food insecure to food secure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, on that subject of food security, can you share with us? Um, because people may not understand that there's a difference between having access to food. You mentioned, you know, Inglewood just like everywhere else, you have fast food restaurants. What's the difference though between having access to some food and in a food desert? Um, which certainly there are communities in Chicago that are more food deserts.
1: Oh no! I mean, you, but, but. What you don't want to do is is jump past the most basic comparison, which is hunger and food insecurity, because that is where we have the the misconception. You know what I mean? Okay. Of course, we know that there's food a food desert, um, you know, an area which lacks, you know, um, you know uh, a healthy uh, model or a, um, a grocery store option. But we're talking about hunger and food insecurity is completely different. And so now when you look at hunger being a feeling, you're feeling the the feeling of hunger versus food insecurity, which which is the lack of consistent access to healthy options,
0: Mm.
1: you'll start to be able to be discerning in in the response to each one. Since they're not the same, you can fight hunger with place and event-based feeding because you can solve hunger like that. You cannot solve food insecurity by feeding somebody one time. And so now when you look at it, if you see someone saying they're fighting food insecurity, but they did nothing to talk about the quality or the access, then by the definition, they did not fight food insecurity. And so it's about holding all of our organizations and all of those major players accountable to do what they say they're doing what we yeah. want to do is right right the ship to show that it's different because that is where the true difference is if you look at the proposed product or program is it solving food insecurity or is it solving hunger for our yeah. project dream fridge which is the one community fridge we have that's solving hunger but okay. what does it say a food insecurity not a lot dream yeah. delivery is solving hunger and food insecurity, because we have the consistency, we have the access, we have the quality. And so I think that's the, the big difference. And that's the thing that I would like to highlight.
0: Yeah. And, and with food insecurity and part of solving that, I assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's important that people are able to consistently make food in their homes that they would typically eat if they could just go to the grocery store and buy that same food.
1: Uh, yes, and even if it's something that they would not buy, having access to high quality options, period. Okay. You know what I mean? That's the thing. It's like, yeah. you know, we don't you can't you can't dictate choice, but you but you can make sure that of those choices, the quality is high. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. someone is not less than because they pick this over that. And so It's just about uh, putting that power uh, back with the people and making sure that it it truly is equitable.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's helpful because then you look at it and you say, okay, there are organizations that are dedicated to solving hunger. There are organizations that are dedicated to solving food insecurity. And there are some organizations, I think, that try and do some of both or at least educate people in those areas. Um, As far as on Chicago Dream and this part of, because I, I understand this is only just a part of what you hope to do. So this yes. part of Deion Chicago Dream that is active right now, um, and, and you look at it and you say, okay, with all these things out there, what can you realistically do? Or, or what do you realis- realistically hope to do in order to maybe look at those three assets or facets of you know, solving hunger, solving food insecurity, and educating people about
1: the need. Well, no. Um, I, see, it's funny because I don't really touch on educating people like that. OK. Because I think that when we talk about community of communities of color. People immediately say, oh, well, how are you teaching them? You know what I mean? How are you t- either teaching them about the need or teaching them about eating healthy? You know what I mean? And I think that's extremely toxic and dangerous, because as far as I, if you look in, in history, black and brown people never needed to be um, educated Sorry. about how to eat food. And so I yeah, think yeah. that, you know, for us at, at, at our core, we don't educate anybody because we don't assume people need educating people know that there's a problem and people know what to do when they're given a fair shot is when you yeah. don't give people a fair shot or when you don't respect their intellect and what they know to be true about their their uh, systems, then that's where it gets a little gets a little wonky. And so for me I have to make sure that uh, as an organization and as a leader, what we're building is better than what's here. And when we're talking about this education thing, um, that's something that really kind of grinds my gears when when I hear people talk about uh, my people and they say, well, what are you doing to educate them? Who told you they weren't educated? Where yeah. did that come from? How did that get introduced? Even about the problem, you know what I mean? For right. me to come from a, a neighborhood or to, to have an upbringing that was extremely tumultuous, why do I need to be reminded or told about, about what the problem is? I know more of the problem than you do. When I get on calls and I have meetings, people try to tell me how to solve a problem they didn't solve and they've never solved. And so it's also standing in my power as a leader, as a black man, um, and as a, and, and as a, a social entrepreneur, where I don't need validation from external forces that that is not doing what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, Just to clarify, because I I think that's really good. And I think I'm glad that you said that Um, more what I was thinking is the way of educating people who are not who have don't have that experience, who have been privileged enough to be never having to worry about hunger or where their next meal is going to come from or how people get food um as far as educating those people about what this looks like or or what people are experiencing in other places um organizations that do that kind of work is more what I was thinking but I think that is really helpful yeah
1: no I understand I understand but again you know that goes back to to you know me know changing misconceptions right now so for example when you look at you know the market cap of food uh distribution in chicago it's in the hundreds of millions Mm. you can be a successful organization and not teach anybody about what that what that that lived experience looks like and that's why if you look at how we market our organization it's about the product and about the success of the, or the program, not about people's lived experience because they have the, they're have they the only ones that have the right to share what that lived experience is. If you at, look at our social media, if you look at how we talk about this, we don't make it about other people's lived experience because we're not going to participate in poverty porn. It's not up for me to justify this amazing program and product by saying, "Well, Miss Sally is starving, and that's why you should care." No, you yeah. you don't you don't have to care because I can't make you care. But this is a business that is in the has a market cap of hundreds of millions, and the only thing I'm doing is bringing quality and, and equity back to that. Yeah. I can't make anybody care, and I'm not gonna use talking points or education to get that across because there's no guarantee that it will land on the ears that it needs to land on. So instead,
0: yeah.
1: we know that there is corporate kickbacks involved with, with um, and tax breaks involved when donating. We know that in terms of social impact, every major uh, uh, corporation and company has a division for that. That is what we're talking to. We want the people who are investing to invest smartly. We want the people who are donating to know what's really going on. But as far as just talking about educating people on that lived experience, we don't dictate who like whose lived experience we get to share. And that's why you never hear us talk about it.
0: Which is, I think, different than what we've seen in the past where we'll take, for example, because it's the one that's coming to my, my mind when um, like the ASPCA or, you know, these animal protection yes. nonprofits, when they get on TV and you see all the animals that are being hurt and the sad eyes and the cry, you know, it's like in the past, it seems like most organizations have said okay let us put this in front of you because otherwise you're not going to see it and show you this cat who's being abused so that you give to my organization so that people can go out there and bring that cat to a safe space and hopefully have the cat get adopted into a family um but what you're sharing is that that's really not what you're trying to do and that's not what's important what's important is not getting those people and put Putting them in your face and saying, "See, this person needs help," is just saying there are people who need some resources here, and we're here to help provide those. Do you want to be a part of that or not?
1: And I mean, here's the thing: I think it's extremely telling um, that you use like animal cruelty uh, society type example for human trauma. Number one. Number two is. If you look at how it's marketed, which you know, and of course I know that's what you were speaking to, you know, but but if you look at how it's marketed, that that in and of itself is also telling because, for example, when I talked about place-based feeding, right, and I'm sure you, both, uh, I'm sure you have. Driven past a food giveaway or something like that, right? Why is it that you can that the way that is normalized of feeding people looks eerily similar to hurricane response and when they feed people who are displaced? So what I'm saying, and you know, and and the correlation there is 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 telling that the way that we feed people who are place-based. Is equivalent to hurricanes and what you've just um you know equated which is like you know h- like marketing of a humane society to feeding people you know what i mean let alone in communities like inglewood that people have never been to so now we have programs that are not only created but marketed to people that people have never seen you know what i mean right so n- right. we're we're just finding more and more gaps in a system that markets itself as if it hasn't figured out. And so for me and my organization, the only thing I noticed was that after a certain point, there was no man trying to keep me down. There was no higher power trying to keep us out the room. When we got through the door and got to the other side, it was just people wander, wandering around aimlessly. And I realized that there was no intention in the movement. And so now when we're talking about feeding people, it is just simply we're extremely intentional about what we do, what we provide and what we say. And that alone allows us to to operate in the room and in the market in a totally different way, because we couldn't possibly do it without those people anyway, without without our resident there is no team without no team there is no me and so it all works in harmony and so you know it's just really looking at the resident and looking at this need as an opportunity to provide value and equity and equality and that's just not the case right now that's not the market standard like you were speaking to
0: do you ever get pushback on that from organizations that you talk to about how you do that or about you know Wanting to maybe change that narrative a little bit, do you do you get pushback from other people who say that's not the way things are done, or you know that's not the way we want to do them?
1: I mean, initially, and then I never talked to them again. I
0: mean, yeah, yeah.
1: you know what I mean. So I mean, it's and I mean, of course, you know, there is room for growth and there's room for, for understanding, um, but you know, don't get it twisted. And and what we're doing, you know, Dion Chicago Dream is like, we're you know, we're at the beach. And you have, a, you know, you have the surfers, you have the suntanners, you know what I mean? You have the, the people who came to get wet. You have other people eating ice cream. And what we're doing is we're all the way at the other end of the beach and we're building a sandcastle. But when you're building a sandcastle, you know, you grow up and you learn that sandcastles aren't built for you. They're built to show other people what is possible. And so yeah. when we're talking about you know that pushback that's fine as long as it's not a distraction as long as it's constructive yeah. as long as it's anchored in the people and what i found is that if you get to the root of the pushback it's not anchored in the resident experience it's mm-hmm. anchored in the donor experience and we will not champion ever the donor experience over the the, the recipient experience
0: yeah yeah, that's uh, that's so important. I think that's that's really I I mean, I'm really encouraged by what you've been sharing because I think that there are some people who come on and, and they're very open and they're very honest. And I think that you you hear what they say and you say they're passionate about it, they they want to do it, they want to make a change, but maybe they have some script they have to follow there or they've been told you can say this or you can't say that. Um, and I think that, you know, it is what it is. Some organizations are, they just have things behind them that are telling them, you know, they have people they have other organizations that are kind of saying, be careful about what you say, because we don't want the, we don't want this to be perceived as being too aggressive or too, um, you know, asking for too much or doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. But, um, but I'm really encouraged by what you're saying, because I think it's just the truth. I think it's
1: just what you've experienced. I'll tell you this. Uh, I'm a 12-year a uh, communications and public relations professional. I could come on your platform. I could, you know, uh, be welcomed on your platform um, and BS you. But I think that that's not fair. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, what we've been, been able to do is that we have to start righting the wrongs. And we have to start leveling the playing field. And we have to make sure that at, as long as it's anchored in the people and as long as we're really doing what we say we're doing i shouldn't have to come and get briefed about what i can and can't say i shouldn't be worried about what we talk about and i think that you know yeah. for you all and your platform and just journalism in general because i'm i'm a journalist at heart you know right is right and wrong is wrong and, I, and it's not complicated and what we're doing is not complicated we're yeah. feeding people food that we buy The people who are on our team are compensated and we own all of our assets. And so in doing that, we have a we have buying power, we have staying power, but also we've done it in front of everybody. So that they can see that at the end of the day, this is not only possible, but this can really get to the root and, and and start to evolve how we approach all of these problems. But I truly don't even give a damn about those people who are who who's faking it, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to keep faking it. I just rather yeah. have honest dialogue with you and, and, and really talk about why we're doing it, because the people deserve that. I think we're in a time. Uh, on the the I would say the back end of a pandemic and in the middle of economic downturn um, where, you know, if we weren't for real, we wouldn't have made it this far. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, and I can totally credit that to two things wholeheartedly. That is the people that we're serving and the team that I have with me. That is it. If I did not have them, and if we did not have the residents, then none of this would be possible. And so, because of it, we owe it to our residents all throughout Chicago to make sure that, however we feel like the future of this problem is, we're giving, we're we're doing our best at solving it, and we're treating them with as much equity um, and equality as we possibly could because no, there's no big eyes and small U's, you know what I mean? And I'm not a college uh, graduate um, and I don't look for external validation when, you know, factually we're doing something that is truly historic here. And I, I'd be remiss if, you know, I didn't stand in that power that my team has, you know, been a major part in building. So, you know, to, to each his own, um, But for, you know, Bridging Chicago and Deion, Chicago Dream is going to be, you know, an honest conversation.
0: And I think what what you shared is also making it your organization really sustainable. It means that it can be a thing, but also it's something that can last for a long time because it is the truth, because it is the reality of what people are living and what you want to do.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I think that, you know, it, it. I tell whenever I talk to people, and they realize what we've been able to do, uh, they say, "So that's it?" (laughs) And I say, "Well, yeah, it's not complicated." You know what I mean? I think that you know when you when you truly, how do I say this? I think that it is extremely important that you know we're as good of a people as we can be, and Mm -hmm. as a leader, you know, as somebody who worked in PR and, you know, wrote statements and, and quotes and, and speeches for, for four-star admirals and, and, you know, worked at the president's hospital. A lot of these leaders aren't who they say they, they are. And so now I don't have to, you know, I just hope every day that as an org and as a leader, we're doing our best by the people. And as long as we do that, you know, every single day we could wake up and, and the, the the appreciation of having the glass will always be there. Only when we change yeah. our true north from the people to something else, then we, we're, we're questioning if the juice is worth the squeeze or not.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, you've definitely given us a lot to think about and uh, maybe reframe what we thought we already knew. So we, we certainly appreciate that. We always want to make sure that people can connect with you if they want to, if they felt some sort of connection or, or want to learn more. And so just share with us, if people want to come around, do you want to be a part of this? What is the best way for them to do that? What is the best thing that people can do to support Dion's Chicago Dream?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. They can uh, always find us at uh, Dream. Dot com. That's D-I-O-N-S, Chicagodream.com. We're on every platform. Uh, so, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and LinkedIn, um, at Dion's Chicago Dream. Um, and you they can, you know, if they if there's a food insecure household in the Chicago land neighborhood, uh, they can call us at 312 so, 509 four nine zero nine to be added to our wait list. And I mean, that's, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm one of the, the easiest guys in Chicago to find. Um, and, and I pride myself on, on that accessibility. So.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we want to thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. You can listen to, you can re-listen to this episode or listen to our past episodes at www.bridgingchicago.com. And of course, on all podcast platforms, make sure you visit www.deonschicagodream.com to learn more about them. Uh, That's D-I-O-N-S, chicagodream.com. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you on another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Thanks so much, Dion.
1: All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center.